right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play if there's something i need i don't already have i know i'll get it from a good friend if there's something i need i don't already have i know i'll get it from a good friend hi everybody it's jamie lee curtis you're listening to the good friend podcast presented to you by iHeartRadio. it's a podcast about friendship sort of the good the bad and the ugly the triumphs of friendship the immense connection and emotion of friendship, the laughter, and occasionally the tears. We explore it all in an unscripted, very free-form way with many, many different guests, some I'm very close friends with, some I've never met. And I hope that you will take away from it something that connects you to your friends and that the ideas that we talk about can maybe be taken into your own friendships. So sit back or take a walk or however you listen. I hope you enjoy it and stay tuned. I'm so grateful to be here with you. And I got to hear your theme song and I felt even more grateful. Isn't it good? It's so good. Well, let me say this. This entire show, the Good Friend Podcast, welcome to anybody who's listening. Uh, we thank you for listening. Do, do you thank people? Do you? Am I supposed to thank people for listening? You probably do feel thankful to the people listening. Yeah, I guess I do. It's a weird thing because, um, as you know or may not know, you know, I'm not. I'm not monetizing this. That's not true. I am getting paid. My guests are not getting paid. They're getting sent something lovely by me because I was raised well. <laughs> but my point is that because 
I didn't want the, I wanted this to be a conversation about friendship. I did not want this to be my next guest is Lena Dunham. So Lena has, you know, and be selling your wares or my wares, because as people know, if they've listened to me on any platform, I can sell the out of anything. Your voice makes me want to buy things I don't even know. <laughs> it just has that. Like if you like, I don't even have a lawn and I'd be like, yes, I need that lawnmower and those, you know, sun chairs just because of the way your voice makes me feel. Well, thank you. Um, as you know, I have sold products, you know, most of my career, most people actually don't even know that. But when I was an actress, like in comedy movies, I got a call and I did Hertz rent-a-car commercials with O.J. Simpson and Arnold Palmer. Were you just a voice or were you in them too? No, I was in them. I was, do you remember, or you, you probably weren't even born yet, Lena Dunham, but he used to run through airports for Hertz Rent-A-Car and jump over suitcases. I've seen this in my, you know, only in my post-OJ, synthesizing OJ information post-crime. I've seen images of him on the run. But were you a part of the airport chase? Well, what I was, was they, it was when Diane Keaton had been in the movie Baby Boom. Yes. And it was the beginning of women in the workplace. All of a sudden, women like yourself or like myself, yeah. Um, we, people tried to navigate the work world with being a mother. And it was a world of complicated stuff for most people. And obviously, rent-a-cars wanted in on that new group. And so they hired me to be the woman executive. So I was the woman running through the airport with my with your stuff trying to with get my, and I was the one jumping over the suitcases and Arnold and OJ would stand there as I ran by and jumped over the suitcases and then OJ I mean Arnold would sort of elbow OJ and go didn't you used to be able to do that and then OJ had this face of like mm-hmm and that was the commercial it's like oh feminism's here right and they can jump and run and do everything we did. And we're going to be put out of business. Did you have fun doing that? Did it feel at the time where you like, this is kind of fun and feels cool? Or did you feel a funny drop in your stomach doing it? What was the vibe for you? I believe it felt really good, you know, because there was money involved. And I was a young mom and was trying to do the dance of work mom, work mom. And this was money that allowed me to basically be mom. And I, by the way, this is a podcast about you and me, but uh, just because for those listening don't know this little part, I also did commercials for legs pantyhose when I was the action girl. And um, there were fabulous uh, commercials of me climbing the side of buildings in my legs pantyhose. I did Hitachi big screen TV ads where I climbed inside a Hitachi big screen TV. And then you had to guess which one was the TV shot and which one was the real person inside the TV. You got to do though, like cool commercials. Like this was the golden age of commercials. It was before people just stood there and said, this is a credit card. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm always so curious because no one has ever asked me 
to sell a product because everyone's always been like, uh, that's not a person who we really would like to have attached to a product. And I'm a realist, so I understand why. So I'm always, whenever I have friends and I have many who've been asked to do things like commercials, I'm just always so curious about how it feels, the logistics. And it's funny, anytime I have a friend who's like, I felt like such a sellout, it didn't feel good. I'm like, really? Because if I was in a situation where someone thought I was cool enough to be able to sell like yogurt or something, and I was getting paid a bunch of money to sell yogurt, and I just got to do something kind of funny and cool to sell yogurt, I think I'd probably feel pretty great. Well, I did sell yogurt for a long time. And here's the truth of the matter. I love yogurt, by the way. That's why I named it. It's my favorite food. And so I'd feel great selling yogurt. Well, and you are in Europe where probiotic yogurt was a very big staple of many European diets. And in America, probiotics didn't exist. And this company came to me. And the truth of the matter is I also sold cell phones for six years to a company that turned out to be T-Mobile, but it started out a company called Voice Stream. And I did commercials for them for a long, long time. As long as I could connect that whatever the product was actually made the life better. Like you can pay me to say this stuff, but it has to connect to something bigger. And the truth is freedom that cell phones offer you, if you're lucky enough to have one, gives you freedom. Do you remember there was a time where they didn't exist and you were tied to a quote landline. And so anyway, I have tr- I have done commercials for many many things. I we've gotten on the commercial tangent. I will get off this. I will get off that commercial highway. Very I'm just I'm just putting out the first sort of com- you know product thing. I'm doing a a plus size clothing line with this company 11 Honoré and it's something I've wanted to do for a really long time and And I've been talking about it. It's been interesting because it's the first thing I've ever been sort of doing sales behind because it is a product that I'm selling. But it's also something that really matters to me because, I mean, I did design the pieces with them, but also it really matters to me because I am the consumer. I am the person who buys those clothes and I am the person who sees the gap in the market. And so it's the first time I've ever done something like that. But I've also been lucky enough to be able to say, this actually matters to me. It's a thing I truly care about. It's a thing I saw an absence of. It's a thing that would have made a difference to me when I was younger and I saw a person in the public eye with a curvy body, embracing their curvy body and dressing it in a certain way. And so if you're lucky enough to be able to say that about something you care about, or you can connect the idea to the idea that it's making somebody's life better, then, you know, there's no need to put on a charade about capitalism. The quote that I have sort of lived by for a long time is from the Princess Bride when um, Princess Buttercup Uh, is on the cliffside with the man in black, and he's talking about her Wesley and how he was a wimp or whatever. And she says to him, you mock my pain. And his quote is, life is pain, Highness, and anyone who says differently is selling something. And so I I do understand, as you said, commerce. The, the, The capitalism isn't all bad. And the truth of the matter for the podcast listener who's come here for a story of friendship, ultimately, it allowed me to be a better mom. And I'm not saying that with any bullshit attached. It paid me to stay home. And that gave me freedom as a mother to be able to be and do the kind of mothering I wanted to attempt. It's an attempt, by the way. It's, it's a practice. <laughs> Beautiful way of putting it. 
But it's the truth. I mean, it is the truth. It's not like I was greedy and like, I want the money. It, that was a good voice, by the way. It was a really good voice. I was like, who are you channeling? It's beautiful. I know. It had a little exorcist. It had a little Mercedes McCambridge. Beowulf in it. I love it. <laughs> I'm good. I swear, now that I've been in front of a microphone a lot, like all of my fun voices that have lived for 62 years inside me are starting to come out. I love it so much. You're you're becoming like you're going to have to do books on tape. You're going to have to do tons of animated voices. Like yeah, I mean, this is my this is my audition. <laughs> There's a whole chapter that's coming out of you. Yeah. Again, for the uninitiated listener, uh, we welcome you. But the truth of the matter is that my guest and I have never met in actual physical person. We had a brief, brief passing of each other, I believe. Where? An award show. Very brief. And who remembers anything that happens at the Golden Globes? I know. And we I obviously, think, did we do this celebrity nod? The I think back? I went this. I love you. And you very sweetly were like, looked at me in a very, very kind and goodly way. But you were being ripped away from me. Kind. It was one of those situations. And so it's like, I knew had you been allowed to stay that you were like being, you know, kind of scurried here and there by the people who were attending to you. And I knew had you been allowed to stay, we would have had a beautiful conversation, but you weren't allowed to stay. I agree. It's funny. What popped in my mind just at that moment was, um, as the world now knows, because I called her a bestie on the Golden Globe Awards, um, Jodie Foster and I are good friends. And and I am good friends with her wife, Alexandra Hedison. But the reason I brought it up is I thought I had never met Jodie Foster, even though we were both in Freaky Friday and both really were girls of Los Angeles. And, you know, our paths never crossed. And then she sent me a picture of us at an award show that someone had taken where clearly I met her. But as you said, I think the award show cone of contact is there's such an adrenalized thing at least for me in those situations that it's like I have an incredible memory for people and faces and interactions but it's almost like things that happen in that sphere my adrenaline is such that I feel like I'm at the seventh grade dance and it's like the first time I'm going to get to talk to my crush only everyone's my crush and everyone's my bully and every it's all happening at once and I just it's such overload that I leave and I have no idea what I've done, who I've spoken to. I feel really lucky because as a sober person, you have very few moments in life where you don't know any anymore who you, what you've done or who you've spoken to. Right. Way, way, way less when way, you're way, sober. Way, way, less. But awards shows are still one of those. Yes, I, I agree with you. But let's just say that, that w we had a meeting and I believe whatever gesture I did to you, it was a mutual admiration society because really, if you're a creative person and you're thrust into an award show where other creative people, many of whom you will never meet and never know, are gathered and are being shuffled around by their minders, you do have a tendency to have people walk by and go, oh my God, I love you. Yeah. I completely love you. Yep. Or you and bow, you do that little weird bowing thing where yep. it's just like, I'm not worth it. It is a weird thing. It is a weird thing. But then you and I had some interactions. And I think the thing that is most 
meaningful to me that really began what felt like there's so many things in our lives that have overlapped and so many interactions we've had that are meaningful despite not having been in a room together. But when I shared with you, knowing how, you know, bravely open you've been about your sobriety, something that's, you know, it's rare to find people who are attempting a sober life in our business, but it's even rarer to find people who are open about it. And so when I got sober, which will be my sober anniversaries, three-year sober anniversaries in about three weeks, but um, God willing and uh, higher power willing, and I told let you know about it and let you know what you're speaking about it meant to me because I was in that moment where you just go, is there anyone else in the world? Is there anyone else in my world who could resonate with this? And you s- were so generous with speaking to me about your experience, about your life. And you sent me a gift and some items and some books. And for the first, I was sleeping. I will never forget. I was sleeping. I was 32, supposedly successful, supposedly famous and sleeping on a mattress in a storage room in the back of my parents' apartment. And you had given me a book about the daily routines of artists And every single night I would crawl into bed at around 7 p.m. onto this air mattress with a heating pad and just read that book and with your little stamp in it and your signature in it and the comfort that it gave me, not just the book, which was so soothing and just a reminder that you just go day by day. And the genius of you sending me that book was that reminder, but also that it came from you and that you had let me know that there was this path. And what that did for me was it went from an awards show, I bow to you, to a life, I bow to you. Well, um, the word that just popped out at me of what you just said so beautifully, you are a writer. Um, You do use words in such beautiful combination. You choose them very well. Uh, I'm curious about your process as a writer. But you use the word comfort. And, you know, this is called the Good Friend Podcast. Hopefully people are listening uh, to connect to the feelings of friendship. What happens when you say the word friendship and the word comfort just came up? I just want to explore it a little bit because it's, it is what <laughs> I seek in my friends is comfort. Yeah. Well, a word that my, my amazing teacher I've been studying attachment theory which with an amazing teacher named George Haas. And something he talks about a lot is the idea of co-regulation and two people being able to co-regulate each other. And I think the challenge was realizing that before I started seeking healthy behaviors in myself, I had attracted people and been attracted to people who didn't necessarily seek healthy behaviors in themselves. And so Sobriety didn't just involve a transition of my life. It also involved transitioning out of and into some new friendships and the pain of that and the pain of having to let certain friendships that meant a lot to me go because we couldn't necessarily co-regulate in the new space I was in through no fault of anyone's, but then also the beauty of being able to let new friendships in because I had the awareness and presence of mind to be able to really 
kind of be the kind of friend I had always wanted to be and be the kind of friend I had always imagined I could have, you know, have the kinds of friends I'd always imagined I could have. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't a kid with a lot of friends. I was a very outsider kid and I was a very, you know, looking in on the popular girls kid, very to the side girl. And it took me a really long time to find my people. And in a lot of ways, I feel like I kept thinking, are they here yet? Are they here yet? Did I find them in college? Did I find them in the weird crowd of kids I met after college who like to, you know, snort pills and eat donuts? Did I find them in the this people, the this people? And and now I feel like I really found them in sobriety. And that has been the most beautiful part of it, I think, has been the friendship. We'll be right back with more Good Friend after this quick break. So stick around. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Can you explore a little more about this teacher and the, I mean, without obviously betraying confidences, but I'm, I'm, it's, it's an, a world I know nothing about. And I, I know that my listeners, our listeners, the community here would be interested. 
And he's an amazing teacher. And I'm totally happy to say his name. It's not, that's not secret. He's George, he's written about it. But, you know, attachment theory is, and I'm no expert, but it's something that there's a lot of writing about online, is the idea that we form certain patterns based on how we are raised and dealt with as young children. Like certain, some of them are almost biological. Some of them are behavioral based on how we're dealt with by our caregivers when we're young. And so you might form a preoccupied attachment style or an avoidant attachment style. And the way that you deal with your friendships and your intimate relationships will be a result of certain behaviors, whether you had a hovering caregiver or a neglectful caregiver or dealt with specific kinds of abuse. And so as a result, you can better understand your own behavioral patterns with other people and then attempt to do some healing of sort of wounds and sort of incorrect attachments that occurred in early childhood to try to sort of rewire some of those early behavioral patterns so that you can engage in healthier forms of attachment as an adult. And for me, I think what really attracted me to it was realizing that when I got sober, that the drug aspect was gone, the pill aspect was gone, but what wasn't gone was my addiction to and preoccupation with people and with my obsession with knowing that I was okay with people, okay in their eyes, whether it was praise or people pleasing or my obsession with being good or worthy or right, which had always lived obsessively in my brain and been a huge factor in the noise that made it so hard to tolerate my inner life, whether it was an obsession with you know, my friends are mad at me or my friends think I'm stupid or how can I prove to my friends that I'm worth being their friend or, you know, how do I make do this, this and this so my parents won't be disappointed in me, but also have my independence at the same time and navigate those two threads or, you know, or when I entered intimate relationships, being consistently terrified of the other person disappearing and, realizing that not everybody around me lived in such total terror of their relationships shifting at any given moment that other people could relax more fully into their relationships. And when I realized that my anxiety around my relationships made my phone, like literally like my phone felt like this hot brick of anxiety and knowing that made me go, okay, there's something I really need to look at here. And so talking to some people brought me to this way of thinking about it, which I've found to be a really, really soothing and gentle approach to sort of looking at some ideas. Because I know it's what, you know, a lot of people like to label it codependency or, and I have so many labels going on in my life (laughs) illness and drug addiction that I was like, you know what, I'd love to not label this one for a minute and just sort of try to deal with some of the emotional factors at hand. It's, such a, I mean, it's uh, honestly, it, it opens just a, a a world of conversation. Um, I want to touch on something that you said, and I'm, I'm curious because, of course, we don't know each other. I don't have uh, a lot of history. There's not going to be a lot of specific history that I have with you. Certainly, I don't have with you. Yeah. Um, and I can only go off of 
both the work that you have done and what that gives off. But you were talking about being young and finding friends early on, which is such a, it's such a component of our youth is how do we connect? How do we find our people? As you said, you went through these sort of stages of people in high school and then in college. Um, and, And then even that first big work of yours was all about these intense friendships yeah. um, between these four girls. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to just explore that a little bit because I think many, many listeners, that's the deal. Whatever age they're at, they're navigating, okay, I'm now this age, and do I still connect back to what I like to refer to as old ideas? Yeah. You know, old friends sometimes mean old ideas that I no longer participate in which is a beautiful way of saying it that I no longer participate in. And it's interesting because I didn't have a lot of friends, but the friendships I had were incredibly intense. And those are the friendships that inspired girls. Like, you know, these incredibly intense and specific friendships that came out of my childhood, but that was sort of it for me for a long time. And so I was, had this fixation on these specific relationships because I didn't, and was obsessed with writing about them and parsing them partially because I didn't really have a broad range of intense female friendships. So the ones I had almost had a romantic grandeur to me. I almost wrote about them like they were these great romances with men because they were really like, it wasn't like I had 35 super close female friends to kind of jet around with. I was always kind of on the edges of the pack. I think that I could sort of perform normalcy in a way, but I could never hold it up. You know, I was, I was a chronically ill child who was never being properly diagnosed. So I missed a ton of school all the time, but also kind of appeared like a weird faker because it was always like a migraine, a muscle problem, a fever, Mm -hmm. but it was always this wandering thing that was unclear to people because my diagnosis really didn't become clear until my twenties. And so there was that aspect. I had severe obsessive compulsive disorder and was also dealing with some trauma. And so I was super, super attached to my parents and had a lot of anxiety about going to school, about going to sleepovers. So if you combine that with also being kind of a nerd whose interests are generally like Barbara Streisand, West Side Story, and like Charlotte Bronte, the package is not always that appealing to other children. And so what they got. And so I look back and I'm like, I would have probably annoyed me too, if I'm being totally realistic. And then as a result, the snake kind of eats its tail because you're not properly socialized in middle school. Then you're not really properly socialized in high school. And then I got to college and I was just sorely unprepared for what was coming my way. Yeah. And then girls happened. And, you know, I wrote about these friendships that I had that were so intense. And then this thing happens. And this sort of brings us back to the awards show of it all, which is the show comes out and it has this surprising reaction. And suddenly all these people who you've seen on TV and you've seen in magazines act like they really want to be your friend. And you're like, Mm -hmm. well, this is great. And I had no skills to be able to parse what was real, what wasn't, what was, so I was totally unprepared. Although my parents were constantly telling me because they're artists and really understand the vicissitudes of an artistic life. They were like, enjoy this season where everybody wants you to come to a dinner party at their house. 
but know that next season, everybody's going to want someone else to come to a dinner party at your house. And all these people aren't going to be like calling you when you have a cold or there for you when your grandma dies. Like my dad was basically like, I just want to let you know. And I was like, you're being a party pooper, you know? (laughs) Right. Sure. Ben Affleck is my closest friend, dad. (laughs) You don't understand. And it's like, I'm just naming him randomly. I just met him at some award shows. He, ben Affleck's been perfectly nice to me. He's never hurt me in any way. I just thought that would be a funny name. But um, I just didn't want to start a rumor that Ben Affleck had somehow broken my heart in a friendship tragedy. And so that was a whole other education in realizing that there was a sort of adult version of high school where- Oh, yes. It's called show business. It's called show business. And for a minute- I was a very popular new girl and I got to know what being a popular girl was like. And guess what? I will inform you. It turns out being a popular girl is fun. It just isn't real. We'll be right back with more good friend after this quick break. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. 
So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Did you ever see Christopher Guest's movie called The Big Picture? I've seen everything Christopher Guest has ever done, including Claudia Wiles' film Girlfriends. Well, then you saw a lot of him. I saw his front, <laughs> his back, his sides. I know just what you married. Yes, you do. But did you ever see The Big Picture? Yes, it's amazing. Okay. So The Big Picture for the uninitiated Christopher Guest uh, listener watcher um, is a, a movie about a film student who makes some student film and then goes through the machinations and the machine of Hollywood, um, how they become the new the new it girl, the new it boy, and all of the power and prestige that comes with it, all the energy, and, you know, rises it or he rises with it to a, a sort of penultimate point, and then <laughs> the studio executive gets fired and <laughs> he loses it all. It's so funny and it's so real. It's so real and a, a very good for, for someone who doesn't really understand show business. It is a very good um, way for you to understand show business in its kind of harshest way and how it, 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 it pulls apart people. And my favorite thing in the whole thing is Chris's dear friend Scott Williamson is in it and he plays um, a manager of a restaurant. And so this young director goes in now having lost everything. He bought a car and he got the fancy place to live and he lost his best friend. And he's now, you know, honestly broke and looking for any job he can get. And he goes into this restaurant and he's sitting there and it's a scene of the job application scene. And the character hands his resume and the guy looks at it and he goes, oh, I see you're a director. Jimmy, our busboy, is a director. <laughs> it's just, it's such a, it's such a perfect, 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 perfect thing to say. Jimmy, our busboy, is a director. It's exactly right. And it's, I remember like the first season I was doing award shows, my dad, who is a painter and has, you know, dealt with pomp and circumstance, but in the art world, which is a different and kind of more compact world, came with me out to do kind of an awards show little whirl around. And my dad just does not suffer fools. He is not interested. Someone once asked me when I was at an awards show, if I had a Mossad agent with me and I was like, <laughs> no, that's my dad. The first red carpet we do, like everyone's like, Lena, Lena, Lena. And he's like, listen, here's what we're doing. We're stopping. You're standing there. You're looking one way. You're looking the other. We keep moving. We're not doing this. Like he's just <laughs> moving me along. He's like, this is bullshit. Then we get to the Directors Guild Awards and I'm like saying hello to various people. And my dad comes over to me and goes, I don't like all these men hugging you. They've never met you. This is ridiculous. You don't just go up to a woman you've never met and hug her. Give her a handshake. Give her a pat on the back. And my dad's like not a prude or anything, but he just was like, what is this? Which I loved. He was just not going to let it be shiny. And then I went up and I had this, I like, was was had won the Directors Guild. They were like, you're the first woman to win the Directors Guild Award in comedy. And I was like, and I want to dedicate this to my father who always let me play around. And I went back to my dad and I was like, did you hear that? I dedicated it to you. And he was like, 
this food is terrible. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I get it. Not because impressed. He's not impressed. And that's what's so, that is like the greatest gift here is that he, I, and by the way, I married someone who sort of eschews all of that aspect of show business. And of course, I've had a couple glittery moments where the shiny, the shiny object is, you know, being floated. I feel like the shiny object just kind of circles over you and just well, kind of twinkles. I on. Thank you. I don't feel that way, but I have, you know, you can't, you can't help. Honestly, you can't, uh, for somebody who knows show business as well as I do, you can't unring the bell if somebody says something to you because if somebody's it, here's the weird conundrum and i hope people in a non-show business way can relate to this in whatever field you're in if there are ever any ascensions uh, ways to be recognized within your community whatever it is not just for the joy of the process but that there are actual horse races within your whatever it is and i remember someone whispering in my ear. So Freaky Friday had come out and, you know, I jumped onto a moving train. I had no preparation whatsoever. I had a 15-year-old daughter at home and a five-year-old. And, you know, within two days we were shooting, you know, zero preparation to be a, to do this part. And it was super fun and I had a wonderful time doing it, blah, blah, blah. And you know, it was a Disney movie and it was coming out and people were starting to say that, that people liked it and the things and people were going to be, they were going to love it and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, and and I have been an actor since I was 19 years old. And, you know, I mean, people have been nice, but it's not ever really been this overwhelming uh, response, um, critically, as they say. And I remember where I was. I was doing The Tonight Show. And my wonderful publicist and friend Heidi ran into my dressing room. Uh, I did, I think, 20 episodes with Jay Leno. He and I had a really wonderful vibe together. And it was always easy. I never felt stressed. And it was just super easy. Anyway, my point is, Heidi ran in. And it was, I'm going to say it's A.O. Scott. It was a super, super review of Freaky Friday and incredibly complimentary about my work in it. And, you know, I went out on The Tonight Show and Jay Leno read it, you know, because they had just gotten it, it had just come out and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I had a friend in show off business. I won't tell you who. Uh, it was a man. Duh. Always a man. It's always, always a man. Sorry, you guys. Sorry, dudes. Um, and he kind of, we saw each other at something, and he walked up next to me, and he whispered in my ear, you're going to get an Oscar nomination. Now, I'm for all of you who are out there and you understand what these awards are and, you know, obviously the import of those awards within our community, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you start your career in horror movies – I dare anybody to not think that they, at some point, what would happen? How would that ever happen to me? And if it happened to me, what would that feel like? What would I do? What would I, how would, would I it feel? magically grow hair down to my waist and shine everywhere I went? Exactly. What, what would be, like, you can't help but go, wow, I wonder what that feels like. And I, by the way, um, I know a few people who have, who have won them. My point is, 
you can't unring that bell because what happens is you then in response have to go like hyper negative on yourself. Then I won't disappoint myself when I don't get one. And I'm also have to reverse this weird feeling of intense praise on me because I don't want to become an awful person and I don't know what's happening to me. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And that's exactly what happens. So what? So instead of being able to enjoy the ride, and it's a f- ride, and sometimes the ride ends with those shiny things, and sometimes, and sometimes they don't. Goes down and you get off. And it was fun. But it the minute that was put in, it was like a that um, Star Trek. Didn't they put something in somebody's ear once, like that kind of burrowed into their head? It's like Lyme disease. Now we call it Lyme disease. Yeah, now we just call it Lyme disease. They started on Star Trek and now it's Lyme right. disease. Well, I always say to young people who are like, how did you deal, I'm, deal with your career? Like, what if I think the greatest blessings of my career? And I had a friend in show business who's been show off business but she's not a show off who's been through a lot of challenging things say to me, you will come to be grateful for every part of your story. And that really has been true for me. There have been real ups and downs to my career and moments that have really not gone as planned. Not that I had a plan because I didn't, right. but you know, I've had real, real downs. And there was, you know, a year, the year I got sober girls had ended. I'd had some moments where there had been some public moments that where there had been, you know, scrutiny on me for reasons that were felt challenging and wrong for reasons that where I felt like people were totally correct to scrutinize me. And I responded because they were correct. But as a result of whatever way that I had saturated the world and what had happened, I just wasn't a welcome commodity anymore. And I got to feel what that felt like. And it was when I got sober and it was when I got quiet and it was when I entered a new creative period and entered and really found my voice again. And I think people would have thought that being on girls and getting to make that show and getting the praise for making that show would have been the height of feeling in my voice, but it wasn't. And getting to really feel that the light on you and then the light really swiftly moving away from you was actually such a gift in a way because I no longer am living for that sensation. I know what it feels like when it's there. I know what it feels like when it's gone. And I know that when it's gone, I still love making my work. And I know who I make my work for now, which is me, my own healing, and then whoever it can serve when it goes out into the world, whoever finds it is who was meant to find it. And like learning that in a real way, not just an abstract way, was probably one of the best things ever to happen to me, even if it, even if the way that it happened was a little lumpy and bumpy. Yeah, but the lumps and the bumps, I mean, that's the, uh, that's ultimately life on life's terms and not our terms. And, you know, it's never on our terms, even though you talked about planning and having some path. And I'm always amazed at people who, there are people who have that path. Uh, there are people who think ahead of everything they're going to do every day, the same every day. There is that, uh, somehow that is force-fed into us on some level that that's, you know, that's the hallmarkification of life is that you mark life by these hallmarkified 
moments, calcified, frozen moments of whatever. And if you continue to mark those, you'll die and you'll look back and those will be the marked markers of your life. And I, too, have never had a plan, have never have never done anything. Um, I will probably say it every episode without thinking about it. There's a book by Marisha Pessel called Special Topics in Calamity Physics, which is a novel. And in it, she talks about, you know, life is supposed to be this, this, and this. That's what we're told. That's what we're fed. This is what you're supposed to do. And life is based on like where you go to college and what your first job is and blah, blah, blah. And what she says is, it isn't, you know, life hinges on a couple seconds you never see coming. And what you do in those seconds determines everything from then on. And you won't know what you're going to do until you're there. So what are we planning for? What is all of this scheduled idea of this is the path? Because the path doesn't work. What happens is you go with an intention and then life happens and then you your intention shifts. Do you have a couple of those life hinging moments? Oh, my God. I mean, I'm, of course you do. Duh. And that's the whole point. I do. And it's interesting because with those life hinging moments, I think you'd agree some of your life hinges on some really beautiful moments and your life hinges on some really painful moments. And it's easy to look back and be like the life hinging moments. I'm just coming to realize some of the really beautiful moments my life hinges on and not just looking at sort of the trauma moments my life hinges on. Like if I really look back, I feel like my life hinges on, you know, meeting my seventh grade poetry teacher, Marty Scoble, and him saying to me, you know, you're a really good writer. You should come and take the after school class too. So instead of just lunchtime, me coming from, you know, 245 to 445, I feel like that changed my life. I feel like my life hinges on meeting the collaborators that I met, the people who I made my first film, Tiny Furniture with at a film festival, like in, you know, a backyard where every, in a hot backyard in Austin, Texas, where everybody was like drinking beer and random people were making out and it just looked like a weird house party. And I was scared. And how did I meet these amazing people who I made this movie with in that context? And how did we pull it off when we were 22? That was one. But then I also feel like my life hinges on meeting my first really serious boyfriend partner, Jack, who, when I met when I was 25 and I feel like he really protected me through my twenties in a really beautiful way. And, you know, we were set up on a blind date by friends on a whim and stayed together until I was almost 32. And he was an amazing partner to me and, and saved me a world of pain in my twenties and really protected me. I think from a lot we met, you know, the week girls came out on the week that his first song went number one on the radio and really took care of each other while our, while our lives were taking off in this, in this world. But then also there's the moments, you know, my life hinges on being sexually assaulted in college and not being able to talk about it. And, and the way that changed my ability to be in my body and the way that in hindsight, I can see that my relationship around being alone and alcohol and drugs changed. Then my life hinges on getting really sick with endometriosis and the moments that I couldn't see that I could have stopped and taken care of myself. And I didn't, then it definitely hinges on my hysterectomy. And that's a moment where it's like, I look and I'm like, well, I couldn't have made a different decision. It wasn't a decision. It's one of those things where it's like, you can just see that fracture between the person that you were on one day and the person that you were on the next and just how that will never be 
different than what it is. But I always say about sobriety, about, you know, the day that I rolled up to my treatment center with my parents in my sweatpants is that that always feels like when you're reading, you know, a novel from the 1900s and they, there's, you know, that big page that says, you know, part two in Roman numerals. I always feel like that's that page. It's like part two. So, you know, the beauty is you're a young woman with kind of a wicked talent. And I've, I think I told you, I think in an email as we tried to become friends, sort of our little, you know, my little attempt, our little attempt at connection through sobriety. But um, again, I understand that there were other writers on girls and that there are other people. But I told you a memory. And by the way, I don't, I wasn't a big TV watcher. My husband and I have now become very big TV watchers. It's part of our thing. We are now those old people who talk about our shows. I love it. (laughs) No, that is how Christopher and I now spend our evenings. We watch our shows. The reason I bring this up is that I tried to communicate with you the power of poetry and the power of writing. And what popped in my mind was there's a scene where the Adam Driver character and your character, someone very close to you, I think he was your editor, died. And you were not grieving in the way that normal people would grieve. And Adam was talking to you about it. And he said, well, what, what if I died? I mean, would you, and you, and would you only be worried about the rent? It's coming back to me. And you said, no, I would be sad, but yes, <laughs> I would worry about like, where is the rent coming from? And he says, and I'm going to quote it imperfectly. He says to you, if you died, there's a sentence. And then he says, I wouldn't know what a tree was. And I got to tell you something. It completely, it gutted me. It just gutted me. That, we all say that to each other. Like, if you, how much you mean to me and what you mean to me. And we use words, we use these words so over and over again with each other. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And it's beautiful that we all share, I love you, I love you, I love you. But really, what are we saying? What are we saying? And that line, I wouldn't know what a tree was, articulated grief in a way that made me understand you have had grief in order to be able to write that poetry. But your poetry teacher, I would ask you to send him that one page of dialogue because that is the power of words and ideas and feelings. And I don't remember this. I'm not that girl. I'm not going to be like, oh, well, on that episode, like, I don't remember things like that. As I said, I'm not a big, big TV watcher, but I will tell you that it showed me the depth of your being in a way that I, I understood why you were getting the adulation and the attention and the appreciate. It's the appreciation for that from a young, young woman. You were young. 
you don't know. You're a young woman, and you are articulating something that gutted me, that threw me to the ground in sobs. And it is, I mean, it's a good friend podcast, and it actually tells me more about what kind of friend you are that you would write that line of dialogue. Um, And maybe I'm romanticizing it and overemphasizing it. Your ability, firstly, to access your emotions is so beautiful to me because it's just your ability to access what you feel and what you just felt made me feel so much. And it made me remember what I was feeling when I wrote that line. It made me remember where I was. And that really it, it brought up so much for me, actually, what you just said, because I remember feeling when I was writing it, you know, I was fairly early in my relationship with Jack and the just the fear of losing someone who's just sort of become such a huge part of your world. And then thinking about the people that I had lost in my life who had been so structural to it, my grandmother and my uncle, thinking about thinking about the people who I knew I couldn't live without, my father and my mother, and thinking about how blinding certain heartbreaks had felt and the idea of having to live through them again and just your ability to access that. And it's it just feels very beautiful that you can recognize that. And it's I think when I'm writing something that I try to think about a lot is how can I just say this in a way that I haven't ever said it before? Like it's always my goal. And I hadn't articulated that and I was writing a note to the person that I'm dating. And I was trying to just express that my biggest goal was to just not in the spirit of breaking patterns, just not say things to them that I had said before. How can I just treat, keep trying to say things in a new way? And I remember with that, just thinking, how can I say this in a new way? And when you said, you know, we say to people over and over, I love you so much. What would I do if you weren't here? I miss you so much. But how can you distill that down to its essence? So meaningful to me, Jamie. You don't even know. Well, it is the reason you are a good friend. It's a reason you're a brave friend. Thank you. It means a lot to me because I think I've had self-consciousness at certain times. I love being a friend. And it means everything to me to be a friend. And I think I'm that friend who you can call in the middle of the night and that friend who will be there for whatever insane dream or adventure you have or whatever insane plan or whatever thing you want to achieve. But because of the fact that I am chronically ill and I am a workaholic and I am trying to do all those things at once, you know, I'm often not that friend who can come to the birthday party or will go to the big dinner or will show up for the weekend, you know, brunch or I'll be the friend who has to shift the plan. And I feel like sometimes my friends have to tolerate that in me. And so I have self-conscious. And and also when you have the career that we have and you're traveling and you're on location and you miss big things in people's lives, you know, you're away for a birth or a wedding or a holiday. And so the combination of all those factors, there've been times where I felt like I couldn't show up the way my other friends were showing up for each other. And I've had to forgive myself for that and just look at being accountable within the framework of what I know that I can do and letting that be being a good friend. But that's been something in the name of cutting down on the hateful guilt voices telling me all the time that I'm, that I'm a goblin who should stuff their face in a bowl of drugs Um, I have been trying to, in the name of keeping those voices quiet for three years strong, I've been trying to tell myself a different story. Well, you told it here today. I think people listening, I know I 
felt it. I'm sure that the people listening feel it. And that's the goal here, is simply a little connection in the dark to bring the light and human existence issues to bear. And you did so beautifully. Thank you for being here with me. I'm to squeeze you in a non-COVID world, and I'm lucky to benefit from your love and light as we all are. Stay tuned, as the kids say. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay safe. Make good choices, all the rest of it. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Good Friend is produced by Dylan Fagan and is a production of iHeartRadio. Our theme song, Good Friend, is written, produced, and performed by Emily King. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come.